Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The following takes place between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. Well, maybe 9.15 or so. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe-smoking broadcast. I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from a very busy and noisy Concord, North Carolina. It is Tuesday night, and in tonight's show, going to kind of do a feature show because, well, this is the end of our second full year of broadcasting, and... Let me do it in, in kind of in a different order tonight. Uh, so in my guest will be Dr. Billy Taylor. He is the collector of the pipe. Yes, the plastic pipes that uh, are indestructible. We'll talk to him in a minute. But before that, in pipe parts, I'm going to talk about my collection because all this kind of ties into, and I'm going to respond to after, uh, after our guest, I'm going to respond to an article on uh, pipesmagazine.com instead of music we're going to I'm going to respond to this article written by Rick Newcomb and if you haven't read it go read the article the article is entitled in praise of pipe show organizers and a challenge to pipe makers then we'll have the mailbag and a rant all that coming up in tonight's 104th yeah two full years episode of the pipes magazine radio show uh, i mentioned busy why? Because, well, marching band season's in full effect, and uh, son is doing his student teaching in full effect, and this Saturday night, I leave for Europe. Uh, nine nights on the road, eight nights in hotels. Looks like it's going to be five different hotels, uh, three different countries. Anybody who thinks that's fun, wait and talk to me when I get back. And while I'm there, I'm sure it'll be fun, but... Uh, Anyway, in uh, two weeks, I'll have a full report on that trip, so you'll hear what's going on in uh, Denmark and Germany. And next week, special kickoff for the uh, third year show. You'll want to tune in. I'm going to tune in, and there's a clue for you. All right, let's get this show going. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com The most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Hi, this is Kevin Godby, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Welcome back. All right, there's another little clue. Um, so for pipe parts, going to talk about pipe collections. And when I'm talking about pipe collections, I'm talking about something that we collect just to have and to keep. And I want to pull out some examples. Um, we'll start off with uh, my friend John Seiler. John has a collection of costello shape 55s i think right john uh those are the donkey nuts 
And then he's gone on to have not only Costello's in that, but he's had other pipe makers make that shape. That's his favorite shape. He has a collection of them. Uh, John's friend Bill Kotick had a collection of Mikolai pipes. Still has them. Over a hundred of them. Uh, Mick was a uh, pipe maker in the 70s and 80s. Made some outlandish carved pipes, gorgeous shapes, styles, freehand shaping. Great looking stuff. Uh, Paige Sims, and this is a, this is a pipe collection that I like what he's done. He likes the squat bulldog shape. So anytime he can find a good example of a squat bulldog from a manufacturer that he doesn't have, or maybe improving on one that he does have, he wants to add it to his collection. The pipes in his collection value in range but he doesn't care. He likes that shape, so he wants to have that shape representation. Uh, I commented on it from the Chicago Pipe Show. George Amron had a collection of bamboo pipes on display, and they were absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. All kinds of pipes with bamboo over the years. These are perfect examples of collections. Uh, Tad Gage, collected barlings and then put together a gorgeous display of them one year at the Chicago Pipe Show. I thought about this because of the Rick Newcomb article in praise of pipe show organizers because it was at a pipe show when I first got the idea of collecting my Disney pipes and I got laughed at a little bit and we'll ask uh, we'll ask Billy Taylor about it when I get him on the phone here shortly because he collects the pipe, yeah, the plastic ones, or whatever they're made of. We'll get that. Uh, we'll get that detail too. So, what makes a collection a collection? Well, in my case, it's a way for me to combine two passions that I have: pipe smoking and Disney, and put them into one place. Do I smoke them that often? No. I've got a couple of them that are in my regular rack of rotational pipes, but in most of them sit and I enjoy looking at them, collecting them, learning about them, talking to people about them, adding other pieces to the collection, ashtrays, matches, all the other stuff that goes along with it. I've narrowed the collection now to where it is only product that was sold and stamped Disney or was for sale, and I can prove it by a price tag, at one of the tobacco shops. Uh, It's only the park-related merchandise, so I've narrowed the collection down because I didn't want to get into old Disney movie memorabilia that had somebody smoking in it and so on and so on. So I focused the collection. Now, there are people out there in this hobby that I would consider to be elitists. And those elitists will tell you that if you're not smoking an English tobacco, blah de blah blah or a vintage 20-year-old whatever out of a certain type of pipe, then you're not, you know, you're not smoking. Well, as many of you are familiar with, I have always said that if you smoke a pipe and you smoke tobacco in it and you enjoy it, then you're a friend of mine and... If, as long as you like doing it, keep doing it. Don't worry about it. Don't let anybody else tell you what it is. But going back to in praise of pipe show organizers, it was these older pipe shows where you'd see a lot of collectors come out and display their collection. Their collection might have been Sheraton straight grains or their collection might have been historical older pipes, uh, uh, college class year pipes. Uh, pipes from masons, uh, meerschaums of, yeah, of large size, small size, whatever it be, whatever caught their interest. And that's what, for you people that are starting out or for somebody who's interested in collecting, find what you like. As long as you like looking at it, touching it, thinking about it, it's a collection that you'll enjoy for years. And then if you get tired of it, turn around and start trading it off or selling it off. Or in my case, with some of uh, with some of my English factory pipes of old, when I get a chance to get one that improves on a classic example, I might trade up for it. So there's my thoughts. Those are my opinions, which I am the leading expert on. 
And in just a few minutes, we will have the leading expert on the pipe on the phone. Dr. Billy Taylor will be with us, so stick around. This is Internet Radio. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical. A tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliftTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutliffTobacco.com. Go to SutliffTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I am excited to welcome the one and only collector of the pipe that I know. In fact, I kind of look up to him because I've talked about I've talked about my collection of pipes as a bunch of Mickey Mouse pipes. Well, here's a guy who has collected the pipe. Dr. Billy Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Uh, now, first of all, let's find out, just, just so that everybody knows that you're not the youngest pipe smoker that I've ever met, um, When did what year did you start smoking a pipe? Oh, it would be about 1955. And about what age would you have been in 1955? About 15. So, those of you that can do the math, uh, I'll save him the trouble. I'm in my 75th year. There we go. So you may be the oldest guest of the Pipes Magazine radio show, too. Oh, now there, yeah, you haven't had a lot of guests yet, then, have you? Because I know a lot of guys older than I am in this game. <laughs> so what? what made you want to start smoking a pipe in the first place? My granddaddy smoked a pipe. I tried cigarettes, and I didn't find them terribly satisfying. And I tried cigars, and I found them terribly expensive. <laughs> and so I, I, I went for, for the cheap. And my dad, he, he was kind of funny. When he'd start a long road trip, he'd buy a pipe and some tobacco. So he'd have something to smoke while he drove on the long road trip. So I, I I got an exposure to pipe from what I can remember. My my granddaddy and I used to go to his garden together when I was like four, and he was never without a pipe clenched between his teeth. Do you remember what your first pipe was? No, but I'm sure it was a drugstore pipe. Uh, it was, you know. Dr. Grabo, or uh, 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 I can't even think of the names now, but oh, the, uh, there was one that was a system pipe I tried. It was sold in drugstores. had a little cooling channel that ran the smoke through it, and I soon learned that was impossible to clean, so I moved on to um, drugs. Uh, a pipe store pipes, basket pipes, they called them in those days. I don't know if they still use that term or not. But they were just inexpensive pipes. Some of them were really good smokes, and some of them were perfectly terrible smokes, but they were cheap, so if they were a terrible smoke, you just threw them away. <laughs> and if they were good smoke, you kept them forever. And I didn't know anything about it, so I'd build up a cake about, oh, quarter of an inch thick or <laughs> more. I could... I uh, had some pipes uh, when I was uh, in high school and college that I tamped with a pencil because that was the only thing that would fit down into the tobacco chamber with all the cake that was in them. 
So now you went on. You went on and ended up going to college and got your PhD, which is ultimately uh, took a while. Uh, what's your PhD in? Computer science education. So that had to be uh, very early on in the computer science world. Oh, it was. It was. I uh, helped design computer networks. Um, for various schools and companies and, and uh, computer programming. In fact, one of my favorite jobs was teaching NCR programmers how to use Assembler to get their software to work with the operating system the customer wanted to use. And the, they knew COBOL and you know all kinds of programming languages, but when it came time to get the program to work with the system, they needed to go back to the basics and in those days the basics the real basic of course is machine language but by we'd already advanced to assembler code and so that was that was one of my favorite jobs and, and then I got a job um, uh, with standard register company in um, writing what they called programmed instructions which was essentially a, a computer or a paper and pencil program that said, if your answer is this, turn to page 80. If your answer is that, turn to page 120. <laughs> that kind of thing. So uh, I've had a wide and, and interesting career with the computer programming. But uh, finally wound up my career with uh, designing one of the very first uh, distributed networks and uh, we had to do it with NCR because IBM was still convinced that the mainframes were the only way to go. And of course, now you carry in your pocket a smartphone that's got more power than the mainframes that IBM was building back in the in the eighties. And those old mainframes would take up an entire floor of a building. And now we have that power in a in a computer. Oh yeah, you got that power in your shirt pocket. <laughs> You've seen some amazing changes. Oh yeah, and uh, as I am uh, want to say, uh, what I know about computer programming today is completely useless because I've been retired twenty years, and it's gone well beyond anything I ever did. So is it kind of is it easy to compare that to like a uh, a horse and buggy repairman trying to work on a car? Yeah, that would be a, a very fair comparison. Uh, if you think of me as the horse and buggy repairman, <laughs> <laughs> and the computer sitting on my desk as the automobile, yeah, I, uh, I, I call technical support fairly regularly these days. When did you first find the pipe? And for those that don't know what the pipe is, tell them tell them all about it. Well, the pipe was uh, <clears throat> invented more or less by accident. Uh, there, there was a material invented by Thomas Edison called pyrolytic graphite. He couldn't figure out what to do with it. But when we came into the rocket age and nuclear power plant age, it turned out that this material had very uh, uh, particular heat distribution qualities. They found they could use the material for brakes on things like the Concorde jetliner and for uh, nose cones and rocket nozzles on rocket ships. And uh, one day, one of the workers at the Supertemp Corporation was uh, uh, machining some part of the graphite cups for nuclear power plant plumbing. And he was a pipe smoker. And so he said to himself, you know, I'll bet if I stuck this in my pipe, <laughs> it would smoke. <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> I'm just so, glad somebody didn't tell him to stick it in his pipe. Oh, well, he would have probably. But anyway, he smoked it. And he thought, well, that's pretty good. So he took it to management. And management said, you know, we want to be the premier supplier. There were only two companies manufacturing the graphite at that time. And I think I'd still be only two. It, it's a pretty complicated, difficult process. 
and so they said, "Let's we'll make these pipes," and that was about 1965 or so that they started doing that. And uh, uh, one of the first things they learned was that they knew how to make make the things, but they didn't know how to market them. <laughs> so they brought a guy in who had done the World's Fair in uh, New Orleans in '67, named Wes Myers, and Wes was a marketing genius. So he started selling these things, and uh, his model was to start with one pipe store in one region and build from there slowly through uh, his distribution network. And so it finally got to be, for a short time, the best-selling pipe in the United States. But... um, it was also one of the most expensive because a lot of it was hand labor to manufacture the pyrolytic graphite and then machine them the right size to fit the plastic shell that they stuck them in. Uh, required a lot of uh, detail work that, that was uh, done by hand. And of course, when you're doing hand work, uh, that's expensive especially as compared to machine-made factory pipes, like S.M. Frank put out and a lot of others. So, uh, and that's ultimately why the company failed. But uh, they were just too expensive. So how much was was a new one in 1968-69? And if I remember right, that was... You could buy a Dunhill for $12.50. Yeah. <laughs> and so most of most smokers, of course, were familiar with how to smoke briar. And one of the things that uh, everybody learned pretty quickly was that these things don't smoke the same way as a briar pipe. So uh, if you loaded a, a tamp and pack one of these pipes as, as you would a briar, you wind up with a very hot, very wet smoke and it tastes terrible so uh, and that was their downfall most of their success in marketing came from selling these to women you know on the basis of uh, buy a pipe that matches your husband's eyes or the color of his car Uh, arrow shirts came out with the various colored shirts about that same time and Wes said you know we'll match the pipes to the to the clothing and to the cars and so on and and uh, sell them to the ladies, which is basically what they did. So how and do they, you how do you smoke one? I I want to buy one. How would you suggest I smoke it? Well, to buy one, you have to go on eBay pretty much these days or a pipe show because they stopped making them in about seventy five. But once you get your hands on one, they're really easy because it's you don't pack the tobacco in. You just dump it into the chamber. And then you puff nice and slow and easy, and you get a really great smoke out of that. But if you pack it down tight, then it's it's going to smoke hot because that pyrolytic graphite will distribute the heat right up to the top, and then it'll heat back down again through the bowl, and you wind up with a pipe that can be hot enough to burn your fingers if you're a determined puffer. <laughs> so so if- you, you have you have you have to treat it. Uh, with, with a, a, a lot of relaxation, more than a lot of pipe smokers use, by the way. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the guys going around looking like a chimney. Yeah, I'm one of them. You do, well, if you do that to one of these pipes, you're not going to enjoy it very much. But what you will really enjoy about them, because it is a, a specialty metal that lines a tobacco chamber, if you get a, like a, a load of tobacco you don't care for. If you've smoked that in your briar, that's in your briar forevermore. I've had guys tell me, uh, I smoked Latakia in that pipe and it will never smoke right again uh, if they don't like Latakia because whatever you put in your briar is going to be absorbed into the cake and the wood and so on. With these, you just dump the tobacco out Take a toothbrush and a little warm water, 
rub it out with the toothbrush, and you now have a brand new, perfectly broken in pipe with absolutely no residual flavor from previous smokes. <laughs> or you can throw it in the dishwasher. Uh, I have not done that because I'm afraid it'll hurt the paint on the, uh, the, the outside part of the pipe. Uh, this is, you know, these are old now. I'm talking the newest ones are 30 years old. <laughs> Thanks. I was born right before they were invented. Uh, we're going <laughs> to take a break right here. When we come back, I'm gonna, I, I want to find out more about the taste qualities and the differences. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, We've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco. Blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show talking about the pipe with the Dr. Billy Taylor. So before the break, you mentioned that you have to pack it differently. If I took that same tobacco and put it in a the pipe and put it in a briar pipe, packed them correctly for each pipe, is the tobacco going to taste the same or is there going to be a little bit of a difference? There will be an astonishing difference depending on the tobacco you're talking about. Because you, if you're smoking a briar, you're smoking your cake and the flavor of the briar itself as much as you are the tobacco. And I've had guys tell me, you know, I loaded with this blend and smoked four bowls, and then I put in that blend and smoked three bowls, and I put in my other blend to build my cake and to, to flavor the pipe. And that's really what you're smoking. And if you put that into the pipe, you might find that your favorite tobacco isn't really your favorite anymore <laughs> because you're tasting just the tobacco and none of the none of what's gone before. Mm. So it's a very different smoking experience. And one of the things that I learned as I got more experience with the pipe is that I don't really like those heavy aromatic blends, and I don't really like the pure English blends. I'm looking for something that is a very, it's a very light casing on it, because those smoke best for my tongue in the pipe. And uh, but I would just, just almost wager, not quite, because I'm not really a betting man, but. Uh, your favorite tobacco won't be your favorite in the, the pipe. You'll you'll be starting to look for something different from what you thought you liked. So the the so, shell the shell of the pipe is actually is it a molded plastic? Yeah, it's technically called compression molded phenolic resin. Is that and, a big word for plastic? That's a big word for plastic. Okay. I'm a little simple. Uh, is the stem a traditional vulcanite or 
Is it part of that? Pla- is they it some of that plastic? With, they started with nylons, but found out that they they they, they crushed too easily, and they moved to uh, Bakelite. And most of the pipes uh, manufactured after '68 or so will have a Bakelite stem. So these pipes are almost indestructible. Oh yeah, I run over mine with a car more than once. On purpose or just for? No, just just uh, you know, you stick it in your pocket. The only thing that I found that I can, I can break the shank on one of these things if I stick it in my hip pocket and then sit down on it, and then I can break the shank. But the bowl, uh, I've only seen one Z pipe of the nearly thousand that have gone through my hands over the years that had a broken bowl. Well, you know, it, it's a thick, hard plastic, and it's metal liner. Now, how are you going to break that? Yeah. <laughs> I suppose if you took a sledgehammer to it, you could break it. But short of that, I I don't know what, what would break one. So, yeah, they're, they're pretty much indestructible. That's why a lot of guys call them their gardening pipe or their fishing pipe or so on. And they don't feel like they've lost a lot anymore if it does go in the drink because they all smoke alike. Well, with it being a plastic, won't it float? Oh, no, it's too heavy for that. Your your, your displacement won't come out right. It'll sink like a rock. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about your collection. When did you start collecting them? Well, there's a bit of a story to that. I bought my first the pipe in the late 60s, 68, 69, somewhere in there. And a friend of mine whose doctor got on his case too hard quit smoking, and he had one, and he gave it to me. So I had two. And all the years I was working, two was plenty because you just run a pipe cleaner through them, and then you put them in the uh, wash them out, and you, you, as soon as they're dry, you're good to go again. You don't need a rotation. But after I retired, I said, you know, I would like to have another one or two of these pipes. And so that's when I discovered nobody had been making them for 20 years. So that one thing led to another. You know, I said, well, geez, how do I find more? And uh, why did they stop making them? And, you know, a thousand questions started to come to mind. So I wound up traveling out to Super Temp Corporation and, and uh, talking to Wes Myers, who... Uh, is now gone, but it, back then was still alive, and he remembered some things and other people involved with the manufacturer. And so I just got interested and wound up uh, writing it all up, and and uh, I even published it in book form around 2000, which, needless to say, didn't sell well. <laughs> so I just said, no, I'll just put it on the Internet. And uh, that was in. 98, I think, that I put the, the, the first uh, bits of the collection on the Internet with a big chart that showed all the shapes and colors and sizes and and uh, everything about them and put check marks. And that basic chart is still, by the way, on my website, uh, except now it's nearly full. I'm only missing six yeah. of their shape-color combinations three of which I'm not sure they ever made. But um, at any rate, it, it just uh, became a sort of a hobby with me to just find out all I could about these things. And as I did, I'd add it to the website. And, and of course, finally, I had to reorganize it. And, and so uh, the pipe.info, not .com, .info, is uh, where you can find out everything I've found out about the thing. And it, it was, it's just been something to do, and it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it, and I've uh, started going to pipe shows to find these pipes and met some people who knew something about them. And, and um, it's just been a lot of fun. I've even seen you display them at pipe shows. Yeah, I displayed them at uh, Columbus and at uh, Chicago. In fact, I think I did it twice in Chicago, but uh, 
me just this last Chicago show. He said, uh, you know, there used to be a guy that showed these pipes or the, the, these <laughs> shows. Yeah, that that was me. <laughs> yeah. I, I get that occasionally where people at, see that I'm a Disney fan and ask me if I know anything about the Disney, about the Walt Disney World pipes. Uh-huh. So, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, just about all there is to know, right? Yeah. Or everything that I've ever made up about them. Um, <laughs> also on your website, which is www.thepipe.info, is a really cool picture that's a cutaway of one of the pipes. Uh, I'm assuming you sacrificed one to cut it in half. I didn't. But a fellow, a, a millwright, uh, who got to... We got in touch somehow. I don't even remember how we got to know each other. But uh, he liked these pipes because when he was working on the factory floor with the machine, he couldn't hurt them. <laughs> and so uh, I gave him a, a pipe that he really wanted. And uh, he said, I'll take another one of my old pipes and I'll machine it for you and paint it up. And it, it did a beautiful job. And I've still got the actual thing that's photographed on the website i have that piece i don't know who is ever going to want this stuff after i'm dead and gone but i've got all kinds of things when i went to super temp they gave me one of the raw inserts as it came out of the uh, furnace and uh, he had it on his desk and he said here you ought to have this then he introduced me to a fellow who'd been working in production there uh, in designing their uh, pipes that they call a rare woods collection. They were going to make uh, teak and sycamore and purple heart rosewood. Rosewood's the only ones that ever got made as far as I know. But he gave me the prototypes huh. that he had, the only ones in the world. So those are in my collection. And um, it's just been a, a wonderful experience just getting to know people and um, there's an acknowledgments page on my website that I hope everybody reads of all the people that helped me. And then there's a list of all references of all the people I talked to and letters and emails and conversations. It just, it's just been a lot of fun. How many the pipes do you own? Uh, <clears throat> roughly 400. And is, are some of those duplicates of the same shape and color, or are they all different? Oh, they're unique. They made nine shapes and 24 colors. Not completely 100% all colors in all shapes, but very close to that. And then they did things like paint, what they called fashion stripes, what a lot of dealers called racing stripes, around the top of the, the exterior of the bowl, so that they'd have a a yellow pipe with orange stripes around it. And they um, made a California style, they called it. Uh, no two of which are alike. So nobody's ever going to have them all. But I have an example of each shape in the California style. They were called hippie camo back in the 70s. Yeah, they, they kind of look tie-dyed. Yeah, that's uh, a good way to describe them multicolored pipes and uh, just that got started because many of the workers in the plant were Mexicans and they enjoyed competing with one another as to who could make the most colorful pipe <laughs> and uh, when Wes Myers saw that he said we can sell those things <laughs> and so they began manufacturing them uh, that never a, a lot of Although the odd thing is today, because a lot of guys bought one just to have and keep, not to smoke, they're really easier to find than some of the other colors. But, uh, in fact, there were two on eBay right now. Huh. And they also made them with, uh, they tried doing them with some with real briar exteriors? Yes, they did, uh, and it worked quite well. I, I have uh, some of those. They made they plasticized this rosewood and then put a bowl liner in, but they took real briar, imported briar. But one of the things that they discovered was that 
was really hard to fit their standard size liner into a, a briar pipe except to have it custom carved. And, you know, you want to talk about something expensive to do. We're, we're now into get, persuading some briar carver <laughs> to <laughs> do something that he thinks is criminal. <laughs> and so uh, that uh, didn't go well. They also offered at one time for about a year or two to uh, let anybody send them a pipe and they would custom fit a, uh, a liner into it. But that didn't work out well because they only had the one size of bowl liner, really. And um, you had a lot of different bowl shapes and, and pipes. So that, that, that turned out to be another project that they, they, they tried to make work and couldn't. So it, that, that didn't last very long either. Is there a difference between the ones that are marked the pipe and the ones that are marked Venturi? Oh, yeah. The ones that are marked Venturi have no bowl liner. They're just a plain plastic pipe. All plastic. Really? So now you got a whole other collection of stuff to, to look for that... Well, yeah, but luckily the, the Venturi pipes um, are... Uh, you can't hurt the bowl liners. So they, they're they even more indestructible than the others. And they only made uh, five colors in three shapes. And that was really what killed them, by the way, because the uh, Dr. William Smith, who was the managing director of, of Super Temp Corporation, uh, got angry when they started selling a lot of the Venturi pipes with no pirate of the graphite in them. Remember it. That was what Super Temp was all about, was becoming the world's top supplier of pyrolytic graphite. And now here these guys were having him make pipes without a bowl liner. And uh, at one point he exclaimed, I'm not going to make bubble pipes. <laughs> and, uh, he called in the molds, all of which belonged to Super Temp Corporation, and stopped manufacturing the bowl liner. And that was the end of them. So that—that's what killed them. That's what killed them were these Venturi pipes. They had another line called the Smoke. Yeah. That that had uh, pirated graphite bowl liners in them, much smaller. The, the uh, theory was that a the, the college kids in the seventies would use these for smoking other kinds of things besides just tobacco. I can't imagine what you're talking about. Oh, of course not. And um, so uh, these things were marketed for a while, too. Uh, and uh, there was some difference, and I haven't been able to quite get my, a handle on what the difference is between the pyrolytic graphite they used in the smoke and the ones that they used in the pipe. But I will say that uh, I, I don't enjoy smoking of the smoke near as much as I do the pipe. And before we wrap this up, uh, do you own briar pipes, you know, regular pipes that also that we know? I, I uh, From my previous years of smoking, I have one briar, one meerschaum, and one... Um, Oh, and I have one stone pipe from the Pipestone Monument in, in Minnesota, uh, hand-carved by one of those re few remaining Indians in, in that area who still do that kind of work. So I've, oh, and I also have a Wellington that my granddaddy smoked. And then you have about 400 V-pipes. Yeah, the pipe Venturi, the smoke, yes. Wow. Which is all but, as I say, six of those that were manufactured. I'm still looking for an ash gray bent 
a coral bent, a forest green billiard, forest green bulldog, forest green double. Those are the three I'm not sure were ever made because forest green was never documented as a color. And finally, I'm looking for a horizon blue bent. That's a very light blue. And uh, sooner or later, I'll find them if I live long enough. But they have been, they have eluded me to date. And those six are listed on your website, so we'll they wrap. They are, with, with photos, by the way. I, I, I learned a little bit about Photoshop and found out that I could take a picture of an apple-shaped pipe, remove the color, put in the color I wanted. So I took a, a white bent, I think it was, and colored it the horizon blue shade. So if you go to my website, you'll see on the right-hand side of the webpage a um, list of the uh, six that I don't have with a photo. And I would imagine you'll be uh, happy if somebody out there has them. They can go to your website and get a hold of you and... Uh... I, I'm sure you might be able to trade them a pipe. Well, I'll I'll trade or I'll buy or whatever <laughs> they want to do. I, I, I'm I'm willing to negotiate about anything except my granddaddy's pipe that they can't have. <laughs> but about anything else <laughs> that we could discuss it. And we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. There's no right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Go. What's your favorite pipe? The pipe. What's your favorite tobacco? Um, I have two. Cornell and Deal's Pasha's Dream is one of them. And the other one, oddly enough, is just plain old Captain Black. What's your favorite drink? Martini up, traditional martini, two to one, uh, with a pimento, pimento stuffed olive. Shaken or stirred? Never, ever shake a martini. It bruises the gin. <laughs> and waters it down. Uh, <laughs> when it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? Uh, oddly enough, it's television. And last question, do you have a particular favorite pipe-smoking memory? Uh, once I got to sit down with uh, Craig Turler at his shop, and he had a, the pipe on his bench that he used <laughs> to test new blends, and we sat down and smoked two or three different blends that he was developing. Sounds like a good time. It was. Uh, Dr. Billy Taylor, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having a uh, unique pipe collection, and I completely embrace it. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> I, I, I wish more smokers did at least give them a try. By the way, there are 42 being offered on eBay right now, and my guess is that probably 10 of them will sell <laughs> so there you go somebody you can start your own collection of the pipes and stay away from my mickey mouse pipes oh well now yeah okay i'll go along with that some <laughs> of your mickey mouse pipes though i'm sure keep coming up more often than others yeah occasionally Dr. Billy, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing about The Pipe. And we'll be back with the show in just a minute. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? 
Oh, signore, this truly is molto dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. <laughs> just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. It is like they are all having a giant playful pillow fight on smooth and silky sheets of tobacco in my mouth. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sightlife Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Balto Dolce blend in public. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back. All right, there you go. You can go on eBay right now and start your own collection of The Pipe. You can get 40-plus uh, of them right now. All right, I want to take this time, instead of playing some music, to respond to Rick Newcomb's well-written article uh, in praise of pipe show organizers and a challenge to pipe makers. Uh, right now, I want to give a standing ovation to everybody who's been a pipe show organizer. And I want to say thank you to all of them because some of my greatest memories uh, as a pipe smoker have taken place at pipe shows. And that's why I have been a big, big supporter of getting everybody that can and get them out to pipe shows. All right. Now, in wake of the recent announcement of the Richmond Pipe Show and announcing that this upcoming 30th show will be their last one, Rick goes on to say that part of the problem is relates around money. And he's right. Part of the problem with pipe shows relates around money. There's It's a lot of money to organize a pipe show. Uh, what he does say is that he urges every pipe maker that goes to a pipe show to donate a pipe to whether or not the if the show has a silent auction or a raffle or for door prizes, something like that. He asks each pipe maker that go there to support the show by donating a pipe. Now, here's where Rick and I differ. I say it's not the pipe maker's faults. It's the manufacturers, like me, and the retailers in the area. Those are the people that need to be supporting these pipe shows. Why do I say not the pipe makers? It's because, as we've heard from many of the pipe makers, including J.T. Cook a couple weeks ago, Ryan Alden uh, back over the early in the summer, none of these pipe makers are making $100 billion or even a million dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm going to pull back the, pull back the curtains a little bit and give you a little insight. Um, somebody like J.T. Cook, 70 to 80 pipes a year. Somebody like Ryan Alden, lucky to make 120 pipes in a year. Most of the full-time pipe makers are very lucky to get between 100 and 120 pipes a year. Now, if you figure 100 pipes a year at $500 each average, and that's not even that's not a new pipe maker. That's somebody who is well established and has a good clientele base and has a good commanding price of an average of $500. That's $50,000 a year in money coming in. That does not include any costs for machinery, for materials, supplies if the machinery breaks, electricity, space for the workshop, or Briar itself. That also doesn't include any travel. And when I talked to Levon Eric. Uh, a couple weeks ago, after at the Columbus show, he said that this the coming to Columbus was going to cost him about eight hundred dollars minimum between airfare, hotel, table rental, uh, food, drinks, plus plus because he's got to travel, 
Now he's lost a day or two in the workshop. That day or two in the workshop is worth a half of a pipe or so, or maybe a whole pipe that they can't make because they've lost that time in the workshop. On top of that, and this is not a trade secret, but some of the better, more established pipe makers have retailers that carry their pipes. Well, the retailer sells the pipe for the same price that the pipe maker is going to sell it for. So obviously, the pipe maker gives the retailer a discount so that the retailer can make a profit and earn a living. That's how it works. It's called wholesaling. Well, if you do that to some of your pipes, maybe 20-25% to help get yourself established... If you're making forty or fifty thousand dollars a year and twenty twenty five percent of that is now wholesaled out, you can take another you can take another uh, eight ten thousand dollars right off of that amount four or five thousand whatever it is I forget the math but anyway, my story here is is that it's not the pipe makers it's the manufacturers it's the suppliers. I will tell you right now that. Brigham alone, the Brigham brand of pipes alone, I sell more Brigham pipes in a month than most independent pipe makers can make in three years. Period. End of story. And I, Brigham is a smaller brand of the big brands of pipes out there. It is nothing for me to go to a pipe show, spend $1,000 over a weekend between airfare, table rentals, and all that, and donate $200 worth of retail in product. That's nothing in comparison to my annual budget, which is not fifty to sixty thousand dollars in sales. It's a whole lot more than that. On top of that, you will find some manufacturers and suppliers that don't support anything but the one pipe show near them. On the other hand, you will find some suppliers where you'll always hear them donating something here and there. Uh, going to the pipe shows if you see a manufacturer at a pipe show they're automatically helping to support the show even myself personally when i go to a show i buy raffle tickets i support the door prizes whatever it is that comes from me personally whether it was the kansas city pipe show or the columbus pipe show that money comes out of me personally and then brigham donates prizes so I'm asking all the manufacturers and all the suppliers and all the retailers to come out, support these pipe clubs, and support these pipe shows. A retailer's annual sales is dramatically bigger than an individual artisan pipe maker's sales are. If the retailer is not making four or five times more in sales than an artisan pipe maker is, then that retailer's not in business. So... There's my point to it. Take a look at Rick's article. It's on PipesMagazine.com right now. I'd love to hear your opinions, your thoughts of it. And now let's see what's else in the... Mail call! Gather around, everyone! Okay, quick response to uh, last week's rant about the um, the vegetarian options for toppings. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing. I got carried away with myself. Carrots are obviously not a vegetable. It's a root. Um, but anyway, the point is that uh, Pizza Hut, don't call them veggies. Call them non-meat options or vegetarian topping options. All right, a new member to Pipes Magazine, Further73 writes, I recently got finished listening to all of the previous shows and am now looking forward to staying current with the podcast. It's too bad they are only done weekly. I hope he means uh, once a week and not poorly. Uh, I think he does. Uh, but I understand everyone's hectic schedules. Yeah, my full-time job gets in the way. Um, ah, the joys of modern life, he says. He goes on to write, I really enjoyed the interviews with JT. He has quite a personality, and his passion for making the best pipes he can really comes through in his spot on the show. Have you considered interviewing any of the YouTube pipe presenters? I think it'd be interesting to hear from some of the guys and gals making their own contribution to the pipe community. There are certainly some personalities out there, like the Dagners, Matches 860, Stogie Farts, etc. Anyway, keep up the good work, and thanks for enhancing our smoking experience. Uh, in response to that, I've had, I believe, three YouTube pipe presenters on. Uh, the Scotch Piper, who's not really in on the tight YouTube community, but he's 
We found them on YouTube. Uh, Turtle Ray 8 Rachel had her on and had Joe Case on as a pipe maker. Honestly, my concern with doing some of the other uh, YouTube pipe presenters is most of what they have to say is already on YouTube for you to hear what they have to say. A couple of you going on really enjoyed Dom Fleming's music. We are in contact with his management to try to get him on the show. And I guess uh, some of you are enjoying the Oriental stuff. It took about three or four days to get my tongue to calm down. And Ed Green wrote, uh, Great show, love the music, love the music. Though I listened to the Carolina Chocolate Drops for a few years now, which I understand Dom was in that group, and I learned that, went back and have been listening to some of that. Uh, I recently learned also that Dom was a pipe smoker. Must be in the press kit for the new record. Yeah, it's, uh, I learned it from the NPR bit. Uh, that's about all we got for the mailbag, so guess what we got coming up next? Rant time. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. Cup of Joe's, a name you know, a name that you trust for all your tobacco needs. Exclusive pipes, pipe tobacco, accessories, pipe stands, and so much more. Cup of Joe's is the one place you can go and take care of every single one of your tobacco purchases. Fast shipping, friendly, professional service. One site, cupofjoes.com. And coming soon, their new line of smoking man pipes, cupofjoes.com. Quality products and extraordinary prices. I think this is going to come off as a rant and a rave all at the same time, but let's uh, rave about it first. So I've mentioned to you that one of my favorite TV shows, in fact, it's the only show, the only drama show on TV that I regularly set the DVR for is a show called White Collar. It's on the USA Network. And I knew that it was coming back and it's going to have its season uh, coming up here in October. Well, for some reason, I've had my head in the sand and just learned that it's a short six-episode season just to end the series. That's right, they're ending the series, and they're going to wrap up everything in six episodes. Now, it is the only drama show that I have on my DVR, and of course, they're going to kill it. Why are they ending it after... Five and a half seasons, really, because the sixth season is only going to be six episodes. I learned earlier this week that they're killing it because Fox Television Studios owns the rights to the show and the USA Network was paying them full price for it and they weren't making any money off of it. Fox Television didn't want to move it to the FX channel because they figured that they wouldn't get the viewership that it had on USA Today. So it's all about the money. It's all about the money. They were nice enough to allow the producers to come back and do six more episodes to wrap up all the storylines for us and to give us one more shot at it. I am hoping, I am hoping that somebody at Fox Television or somebody at the USA Network 
decides that, you know what? We want to keep it on. So if you're a fan of White Collar, email, post something on Facebook, tweet about it, and hashtag it or whatever. We want to try to save White Collar and bring it back, but the way it looks is uh, the next six shows coming up starting in the middle of October will be the last six, and then I won't have any daytime or uh, any dramas on TV to watch, so maybe I'll have to find something else. If you got a suggestion of what you like, let me know. All right, that wraps it up. Next week, special show to start the third year of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Please make sure and follow us on Facebook. Follow me on Facebook. Leave us a rating or review wherever you are. Post a comment on the forums. I do read them all, and I appreciate all the feedback that we get. And remember, if you're interested in a uh, pipe smoking cruise with me, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And that'll wrap it up for this week. Thank you to Billy Taylor for joining us. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to Shut up. What I'm saying? You were thinking. It's annoying. <laughs>